Good morning. Come on, praise the Lord, everybody. Woo! That's right, we're giving him our best praise. We're so grateful. Um, boy, it's hard to believe the weekend has come to an end. I want to start by saying thank you for the warm reception, for uh, loving me so well. It, you all have just impacted me in profound ways. There's been a lot of laughter and a lot of tears and a lot of conversation, so I'm so grateful for that. Uh, I'm also grateful that we're ending this time on this holiday, January 15th, when we remember the work of Dr. Martin Luther King Jr., the one who gave his life in pursuit of justice and reconciliation, right? He gave his life so that we could be here together because if it weren't for him, we may not be together, right? There was a time in my lifetime and yours, I was one year old when he was assassinated, and he was a man who believed that we could sit together, that our kids could sit together, that our high schools could be places not of hate, but places of love. He was a man who gave his life for that. And um, so grateful uh, to have been impacted by him growing up as a child. So grateful to have his daughter, Bernice King, as a personal friend of mine. Uh, she is the youngest daughter of Martin Luther King Jr. And she is the one that now leads the King Center for Nonviolent Social Change in Atlanta. We brought her to Bethel some four years ago. And she preached a message called, Blessed are the Peacemakers, uh, which is an extraordinary thing to hear from someone who lost so much so early. Uh, and yet now she carries the legacy of her father. If Bernice were standing before you, you would see his face in her. She has his mouth. She has his preaching cadence. She has his fire and his passion. And one of the things that she said on that day that she came to preach to us in May, um, is she said, I am the daughter of Martin Luther King Jr., one of the most well-known individuals in the world, but I am more than the daughter of that king. I am a daughter of the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. She knows Jesus as her Lord and Savior, not simply because her daddy was a preacher and she is a preacher, but because Jesus saved her own very life after she tried to take her life out of so much grief. And the Holy Spirit came into the very room when she held a knife to her wrist, trying to figure out how to take her own life. And um, Bernice told that story of just the incredible brokenness of not only the death of her father, but then the death of an uncle and then the death of a cousin, and how she felt like a spirit of death was following her. And she knew she had a call on her life, but she tried to run from it and go to law school. And she was essentially failing out of law school because she never really dealt with her grief. And so she stood in an apartment knowing that the headlines would be that the daughter of Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. is failing out of law school, and she was terrified about how to get through that and not to embarrass her parents and the legacy of her father and so many others. And so she told us the story and it's, uh, of how she just uh, was at the end of herself and uh, tried to take her own life, but the Holy Spirit came powerfully in that room that day. And she says literally knocked that knife out of her hands and knocked her onto her own knees where she surrendered fully her life to Jesus Christ. So she no longer just wanted to be the daughter of someone who believed what it was to sacrifice all for Jesus, but that became her cry and her anthem. And so uh, I had a chance to meet her. Initially, when I brought kids to Atlanta, I had an opportunity to see her mother in person, to be able to see that amazing woman. If you ever get an opportunity to see some of the living civil rights legends, I encourage you to do that. Uh, it's an extraordinary thing. If you ever get to go to Atlanta, if you ever get to go to uh, Alabama and walk the Edmund Pettus Bridge, the site of Bloody Sunday, if you ever get the chance to do that, do that. Because the civil rights story and what we celebrate today is our story. 
It's not a, a black versus white story. Certainly we saw that in the proud of the South. But I want us to remember that it was the media from the North and it was the University of Minnesota sending buses down. And it was folks that looked like you and like me that linked arms to be able to destroy the work of Satan in the darkness in this world. So the civil rights story is not simply the story of those who look like me, it is our story. It's a story of Viola Liuzzo, who was a mother of five from Detroit, Michigan, a white mom who was a homemaker who saw the injustice and said, I've gotta go do something about it. So she left her five children and went and she drove people back and forth between Selma and Montgomery and was assassinated by the Ku Klux Klan, driving backwards because she was seen as a sellout or what they would have called a nigger lover back then and they killed her. But her memory now lives on in the life of her children and her five children who are now working in Detroit and all over the world to continue to do those things. So there are casualties in the fight for freedom. And this morning as I end my time with you, I want to end with a message called, Come Let Us Go From Here. One of the things that uh, Dr. King preached is he did preach a message of that uh, a similar message, where do we go from here? And he was talking about that in the 10th year after they had started to, to manage some things, they had started to gain some momentum in things. He was trying to gather momentum and he was talking about how do we continue to gain momentum against the forces of darkness? Where do we go from here? How do we deal with the injustice? How do we deal with the government? How do I deal with the assassination of John and Robert Kennedy? Where do we go from here when we now have Lyndon Johnson, who Lyndon Baines Johnson in the White House, who was a, a deep Southern boy who had no real love for individuals of color, but he knew he had to do something right. And in 1964, he signed the, 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 the Civil Rights Act, the Voters' Rights Act, and so, um, Dr. King's loving persuasion changed his heart and I think is changing many people's hearts all over the world. It's one of the most important things I think we do for our students at Bethel is over spring break, we go down south. We start in Memphis, Tennessee. We start at the National Civil Rights Museum and we walk through that museum together, black kids and white kids and black faculty and white faculty and Asian kids and Latino kids and we look at our history from slavery through the Civil Rights Movement. We go to Birmingham. Alabama and we stand in Kelly Ingram Park and Kelly Ingram Park is where you see the dogs being released and the hoses being released on those children. And we stand in Kelly Ingram Park and we uh, stand in uh, Kelly Ingram Park is right across from the 16th Street Baptist Church where those four girls were killed in those bombings. We have a chance oftentimes to meet some of the young people who still live. Some of them are homeless but live in Kelly Ingram Park who tell us what it was like on that day and are people who are still fighting for that. We go to Montgomery, Alabama, and last year we took students not just to Montgomery, Alabama, but we took them to the historic Tuskegee Institute. Tuskegee is one of 127 historically black colleges and universities. That means there are entire colleges like Bethel Universities full of brilliant African-American young people in the world. And unfortunately, the media doesn't want to show you that. But 85% of the doctors, the lawyers, the surgeons, and those who are African-Americans doing this work come out of historically black colleges. Historically and predominantly black colleges mean there are white kids who choose to go to historically black colleges. It's as if you uh, flip the script, and it's if I've sent your child to go to a historically black college. They'd be one of a handful. But some of those very schools were founded by abolitionists 
many of those historically black colleges were not founded by black people, but white people who wanted to make a difference and wanted to educate what was called then the Negro, those who had come out of the civil rights, those who had come out of Jim Crow South, and they wanted to create a place for young people. These are places of incredible brilliance. So we take them there and we allow them to see what that's like. And most kids are stunned because they've never seen, most of your kids have never stood in the middle of 5,000 black children who are as brilliant as they are, as smart as they are, many as wealthy as they are, but the media doesn't want to show us that brilliance. We take them to Atlanta, Georgia. We take them to Peach Street. We allow them to see the birth home of Martin Luther King Jr. We take them to Ebenezer Baptist Church, which is right up the street where Dr. King was serving as pastor and his father was serving as pastor before that. And we sit in those very pews and we can hear over the speaker his voice. And it's almost as if you squinted your eyes, you could see him standing there preaching that iconic message. Today, his daughter stands in that pulpit this morning, right now as we speak, delivering a message, reminding us of the importance of justice and the importance of nonviolent justice. We can have a world where there is no violence. And she says that violence is not passivity. Violence is choosing to take up a mantle of justice in the name of Jesus Christ, changing the world as we know it through the work of love. And for that, her father died. And for that, her family continues to change. So I ask that we pray as we remember today the work of Dr. King, that you would remember Bernice. Uh, you'd remember her brother, Martin III. You would remember her brother, Dexter. Uh, those guys are, uh, they're not, uh, they need our prayers. It, they have, it's an incredibly painful and difficult thing to lose your families. You know, their mother passed away of cancer and their older sister Yolanda died as well some years ago. So those three are hanging on to each other in the midst of a culture that want them to change the message. And so it's a challenging place, but uh, I'm so grateful to know her and to know the greatness of who she is. And I'm grateful for the sacrifice of her family and so many others who gathered uh, in the name of Jesus so that you and I could sit in front of each other today. There is work to be done, and I know that what fueled Dr. King's vision was, of course, his Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, who meant everything to him. And so this morning, as I thank you for your love, I want to uh, draw us with courage, the same way that Dr. King often drew his congregations with courage to the road that is ahead of us. You know, there are times in life when it feels as though the enemy of our soul is gaining a foothold. We've talked about that a little bit this weekend. Somehow that Satan is thumbing his nose at the church and at the promises of God, that he's invading our intimate spaces to taunt us and somehow tell us that Jesus isn't coming, that he will not come through, that he's not going to show up, that miracles no longer happen, that Jesus is a good idea, but he is not God. But we, under the unction and the power of the Holy Spirit, must declare and dare to stand up. And we must suit up and put on the full armor of God that I talked about last night. The belt of truth, the blessed breastplate of righteousness, the helmet of salvation, the shoes of peace. We have got to hold up the shield of faith by which we quench and snuff out all the fiery darts of the evil one. And we have got to take up the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. We together, collectively, have got to stand. We've got to pray. We've got to get ready. We've got to bring every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. We've got to remember the great cloud of witnesses, including Dr. King and others, who stand as a great gallery of believers 
those who have gone before us, who are cheering us on to the very end. This is a war that despite casualties, we are destined to win. So I want to leave you with the words of encouragement that Jesus also left with his disciples in that final test of his sacred earthly life where he was preparing to face the cross. Most of you have read the book of John. This morning's focus will be on the 14th chapter of John, where Jesus is trying to prepare his disciples for his earthly departure. The disciples were overwhelmed with grief. As Jesus stood before them, their friend, their teacher, their confidant, they had seen him work miracles. They had fed the crowds with him. They had seen Jesus himself take on those who sat with their arms crossed, the Sadducees and the Pharisees, scoffing and rolling their eyes. He took them on. They had done everything together. They had slept in the same spaces. Jesus taught them as the master teacher, as the rabbi of that time, the rabbi of all rabbis. But he said, guys, it's time for us to go from here. And they were overwhelmed, perplexed, terrified. Maybe some of us start to feel that anxiety too. We've lived on this high place. We've been riding the waves. We've laughed together. We've cried together. But we know that we've got to get back in our cars with our kids and we've got to go back into days that sometimes seem uncertain, go back to jobs that we don't really like. We go back to memories that we've got to deal with. We go back to tough situations and hard situations with our kids and maybe in our own marriages, we go back to singleness, we go back to widowhood, we go back to those things. But you do not go alone. You go with the Holy Spirit going with you and before you. You go not only with a great cloud of witnesses, but millions of believers around the world whose eyes are also gazing in the same direction. I go with you, and I go for you, and I'm standing with you and linking arms with you just as Jesus had to face the uncertain things of his life. In John chapter 14, as he's speaking to his disciples, he says several really important things as he recognizes the tension is high, but his knowledge of the future is greater than the tension that they're facing. And he said to them, don't let your hearts be troubled. You believe in God. Believe also in me. I go to prepare a place for you that where I am, you may be also. And he goes on to say and bring words to focus about his deity. I'm not just telling you I go to prepare a place for you because uh, I'm Jesus, but I am God in flesh. And he says to him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but by me. Do you not believe that I am in the Father and the Father is in me? The words that I say to you, I do not speak on my own initiative, but the Father abiding in me does the work. One of the things I love about Jesus is that Jesus did nothing for himself or by himself. And we ought to pattern our lives in the same way. We can't live our lives for ourselves or by ourselves. Don't you let the devil get you in isolation in your grief. Don't you let shame keep you away from the body of Christ. Don't you let how you have been taught keep you from throwing yourself at the mercy of God at that altar. I raise my hands not just because I'm an African-American woman, 
There are a whole lot of people who don't worship that way, but I do. Like David, who danced before the Lord until his clothes came off because he knew what God had saved him from. When God has saved you from something, when you can remember who you were before Jesus, and you think about all the things that God saved you from, the crashes you could have been in when you were drinking under the influence, and yet his Holy Spirit guided you, the relationships before your spouses that you have not had HIV because of? Do you know what God has done to save some of us from our own demise, our own choices, the work of the devil? He is worthy of our hand lifting. He is worthy of our praise. When I think about what he's done, tears roll down my face because I say, who am I that you would have considered me, God? Who am I that you would have taken this little girl who didn't know who she was, who didn't know what she was doing, and you transitioned me out of darkness and out of brokenness and out of all of those things into the kingdom of your dear son? I think about that, and I think about the fact that Jesus said, look, i got to go prepare a place for you, and you need me to leave you because... I need to ask the Father, and he's going to give you a helper. He's going to give you my very spirit. So I'm walking with you, although I am God. I am here in the flesh, and this fleshly cage is holding me. So you need me to leave you, brothers. You may not understand. You need me to leave you, sisters, because I'm going to leave, but I'm not going to leave you comfortless. I'm going to give you another helper that he may be with you forever. That is the spirit of truth who the world cannot received. Do you hear that? The, the world cannot understand the power of the Holy Spirit. You only get the Holy Spirit if you first grab Jesus. But when you grab Jesus, you get the Holy Spirit. You get Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. You get the Trinity. You get the Lord of Heaven's armies who has given you more than you could ever ask or imagine, who is fighting with you and for you. You are not comfortless. You are not alone, and you are not without holy gear. You have more for you than you think you have. You have prayer you have the Holy Spirit. You have thousands, millions of believers around the world who say yes and amen to Jesus. You've got churches full of folk. You've got your family, your ancestors, your grandmas who prayed you into that seat that you're sitting in, who fought for you that you could live. Those people are fighting for us in the great cloud of witnesses. God is for us. And the word of God said, if God is for us, who can be against us? What can people do to us? They may be able to kill your body. The word of God says don't fear those who can kill your body, but fear him who can take your body and put your soul somewhere else. He is the one that we ought to fear. And the word of God says fear is not to tremble and run from him, but to be in awe that a holy God would even know your name. He knows your name. He knows your eye color. He's the one that created. He is a creative genius. He knows everything about you. He knows the words before we will even speak. But here's the beauty. He knows our end from the beginning. And he says yes and amen. And so he sits at the right hand of the Father. What does the word say? Interceding for us. Saying, Father, I heard them. I saw them. I saw that group of people up there. And they were praying and they were crying and they were on their knees getting it right. Give them courage today, Father. He prayed for us in John 17 before he departed. He said, God, I pray for those who will ever be mine, who are mine, Lord God, that they will be able to stand in the face of a crooked and a perverse generation and a dark world. He said, I don't take them out of the world. I give them the courage up under it. Do you know that God trusts you to be in this world and make a difference? He said, yeah, I could have taken you out of it. I could have given you an easy way. I could have made you puppets. I could have made you uh, believe in me. I could have said, I'm God, therefore you're going to believe in me. But he gave us free will. 
And he gave us exposure to all of his beauty and all of his radiance that we could stand before him and say, God, I choose you over my life and over my carnal choices. I choose you, and I choose your Holy Spirit, and I choose the better way. So this morning, the portion of scripture that's above your head is the portion I want to focus on in Jesus' final words in John chapter 14 as he is trying to encourage these guys to be courageous. Jesus said this, and I speak it to you. He said to them, if anyone loves me, he will keep my word, and my Father will love him, and we will come to him and make our abode with him, her. They're talking plural here. He who does not love me does not keep my words, and the word which you hear is not mine, but the Father who sent me. These things I have spoken to you while abiding with you. But the Helper, the Holy Spirit, who the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance that which I have said to you. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give you. Not as the world gives do I give it to you. Do not let your hearts be troubled, and neither let them be fearful. You have heard it said to you, I go away and I will come to you. If you loved me, you would have rejoiced because I go to the Father, for the Father is greater than I. And now I've told you before it happens so that when it happens, you may believe. I will not speak much more with you, for the ruler of this world is coming, and he has nothing in me. But so that the world may know that I love the Father, I do exactly as the Father has commanded me. Get up. Let's go from here. So come on, friends. We need to get up and go from here. We need to remember the words of our general, Jesus Christ, who spoke to these friends. And he's saying, listen, if you really understood, you would rejoice. But I understand in your flesh you can't see. God knows that about us, guys. He knows that in our flesh sometimes we can't see. And so he reminds us of the word. He said, not only do I give you the Holy Spirit, I give you peace, and I give you a kind of peace the world can't give you, a drug can't give you, alcohol can't give you, sex can't give you, money can't give you. I give you my peace. I give you the peace that has reigned before the world. I give you shalom. I give you shalom, which means wholeness, health, soundness of mind, peace, and prosperity in everything you have. Have homes of shalom, marriages of shalom. Keep yourselves in the love of God. He said, I'm giving you a kind of peace that the world doesn't know anything about. Don't let your hearts be troubled and don't be fearful. And then he says at the very end, I just want to explain this to you. I will not be speaking much more with you for the ruler of this world is coming. And he has nothing in me. He's speaking about two things. He's talking about certainly the coming of the enemy. But we know the enemy has been in the earth and the enemy has been taunting him when he came out of the garden. But he's talking about those who were used by Satan to try to take his life. Jesus wanted us to remember, nobody can take my life. I lay my life down willingly. It wasn't the Jews that took my life. I laid it down. But here's the beauty. On the third day, I rose it up. I rose up with the keys to death, hell, and the grave. There is no one greater than me, more powerful than me. So even when we die, and if we die prematurely, we die in Christ, and we've died to Christ when we said yes to him, but we are raised in Christ with all power, for he has all power in his hands. He said, don't worry about this devil. This devil can't destroy what I want to give to you. So I want to give you a few things as I end. One, I want to encourage you, my brothers and sisters, to keep God's word at the center of your life and your work. Don't just do devotions. Devotions are important. Learn to pray and pray the word. 
There's a book that taught me to pray early by Jermaine Copeland called Prayers That Availeth Much. And it is prayers that are written by the Word of God in the Word of God. And every kind of prayer that you can imagine, prayer for success of a business, prayer for, for your health, prayer for a child dealing with depression, prayer for a wayward child, prayer for your marriage. It is all of these prayers that are written, and at the bottom you see the scriptures that they were written from. Pray the word, because when you pray the word, you pray in God's name, and you pray by his authority, and you pray in his power, and you feel a sense of strength rising up in you. The Holy Spirit will help you as he helps me. He will teach us and he will cause us to remember. He'll cause us to remember this weekend. He'll cause us to remember our prayers. He'll cause us to remember God's promises. He'll cause us to remember those stones of remembrance. He'll cause us to remember, more importantly, the things that Jesus taught. The Holy Spirit is here to help you, beloved. We don't go alone. Peace is a gift from the Father. It is peace of your heart and mind. I speak peace over you, over your homes, over your families, over your marriages, over your children, over your jobs, where perhaps God has placed you to be an ambassador of his kingdom. My husband serves for the state of Minnesota in a job that he doesn't love, but my, my husband has brought many young men and women to Christ. Not because he walks around talking about Jesus, but because the way that he conducts business is so different than some of the crookedness that others have seen. They ask him, what is it in you, Joshua, that allows you to give me this chance? He said, you really want to know? Because it's not the state of Minnesota. And it's not my greatness. It is who I choose to live my life by. It is the great CEO. It is Jesus Christ. And people desire to be taught, and he has brought many young men and young women to faith in Jesus Christ. He didn't understand why God had placed him there, but now he is a marketplace minister, and God is doing great things. It's not always easy, but it's worth it if one soul can come to faith in Jesus Christ. So often we don't want to be embarrassed, and we don't want to share Jesus, but I tell you, if you live your life, you don't even have to speak the name of Jesus, and people will look at you and know something is different about you. And when they ask, you dare answer. It's not silver and gold that I have, but what I have I give to you. I give you Jesus Christ. Finally, when you don't understand, believe. When you don't understand, believe. Choose to believe that Jesus has a plan that we cannot see and that we don't understand, but choose to believe. He said in his word earlier in John, this is the work that I want you to work, to believe in the one who God has sent. Believe that Jesus Christ is not some mythological figure. You can look in the books of history and you can find Jesus without ever opening the word of God. Who do you think Isa is who is in the Quran? Who do you think Miriam is? It is Jesus and it is Mary. You can talk about the secular artists of, of, of back at that time. You can read the works of the Jews who wrote back there who were secular Jews about this strange phenomenon of this crucifixion and this Jewish rabbi whose body they could not find. I encourage you to Google Ravi Zacharias. I encourage you to read and study books like Jesus Among Other Gods. Why Jesus, understanding Jesus in the age of mass-marketed spirituality. Read some things that are out there. It will bolster your faith that there are people who stand in the halls of the academy before millions of people around the world and defend this gospel that we believe. Finally, I want to remind you that the enemy of this world has been defeated and that we can go up from here with courage. 
Let me give you one final picture to end where I started. There's an amazing man named Representative John Lewis. John Lewis was the youngest of the civil rights leaders, and he is uh, an incredible man. He wrote a book called Walking with the Wind, a memoir of the civil rights movement. And he talks about being uh, this young renegade who wanted to just go and he wanted to desegregate Troy State in Alabama. He was a poor kid of sharecroppers whose mama and daddy wanted him, like many kids, to stay back. For those of you who are farm kids or come from farm families, you know there's a time when the harvest has to come in and that means you might have to miss some school. It was the same thing for sharecroppers and poor folk in the South, but John wanted to go to school. And he got tired of being in school in Alabama where there was segregation, so he wanted to desegregate Troy State. So he wrote a letter to Martin Luther King Jr. And Martin said, wait, 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 before you do anything foolish and get yourself killed, come see me. And Martin Luther King Jr. became uh, a mentor for him. One of the visions, uh, of, and the, which is the title of that book, Walking with the Wind, a memoir of the civil rights movement, John talks about growing up in Alabama in Troy, Alabama, in the middle of the woods where there would be windstorms that would come up. And he talks about the old shack that his auntie lived in. And he talks about one day when a, a wind was coming fiercely and he and his cousins were there with their auntie. And they started to see the, the very corners of their little shack raised up. And she said, now listen, children, here's what I want you to do. I want you to link arms with me. And everywhere we see those corners rising up, where it's trying to rip this uh, house, this shack off, its, its, uh, off of its uh, moorings, I want us to walk together. And I want us to walk to that corner of the place because our bodies, our very weight, will hold it down. And he said for two hours they linked arms and they walked toward the places where it seemed as though the very foundations were going to tear up. And their little bodies, collectively together, kept that thing on the ground. Their auntie knew something wise, and I leave this with you. We cannot fight these battles alone. And the days may be hard, but I guarantee you, if you and I link arms and we walk toward the corners of our society and our churches that are difficult, if we do it together, if we press together, we can hold it down and not only hold it down, we can cause this nation and this world to survive. We can't do it alone. And when we're by ourselves, we may feel like, I can't do it. I'm one person. You're right. But together... We are an unstoppable force for the kingdom of God. So come, let us go from here. Let's go back into those places that are difficult. Let's go back and let's get it done. Let's go back into the places that are hard because we don't go alone. The Holy Spirit is with us, but not only the Holy Spirit, we go together. I'm so grateful for these days that I've had with you. And now may he who is king who shall return, he who is the author and the perfecter of our faith, may he rest and rule and abide and keep you and keep me and allow us to see this very end, the very end in which we know our soon conquering king gave his life that we too might live. Let us go from here trusting that God, he who began that good work in us, he who makes all things new, he who causes us to rest, he who does those things that he shall keep us and sustain us and we shall see the glorious end. And all God's people who agree would say,